Hello and welcome back for some bold and honest conversations around what it's really like to run an SME against London's vibrant yet challenging economic and political background. This is the Ugly webinar series. I'm JP, founder and director of the Ugly Campus, and today I'll be chatting with Cloyd Probert of White Hat. Welcome, Cloyd. Hey, JP. Now, Cloyd, you're normally on this side of the microphone <laughs> with me, interviewing some of the many Ugly members. It's a bit scary. Absolutely, it's your turn. So um, it's really exciting, actually, for me to get an opportunity to hear more about White Hat, what they do. So let's get started. What's White Hat's reason for being, wow. and what brings you to White City and the Ugly Campus? Wow, those are, those are, those are really big questions. Um, and they're questions that really have morphed and changed uh, the reason for the existence of the company and the business and everything else um, changes as you go forward. Your perspective changes and, and um, the things that you do change. Um, so we came out of the um, of my background in, in investment banking technology of all, of all places. Uh, so there's a, there's a bit of a, a history behind that. Um, so I'm really... I'm kind of one of these geeks who are not really comfortable in front of a camera or, or a microphone. I'm, I'm really much more at home sitting in front of a computer, not talking to anybody. Right? So that's, that's the, um, out of your comfort zone. Today. I'm completely out of my comfort zone. Well, out of my comfort zone, running running a business, I suppose as well. That was that was never that was never the plan. Um, so I was a programmer. I came out of UCL. I, I, I ended up working in the city. Um, ended up as strangely enough as ops director for a software house selling. Um, CRM systems for investment banks. So that was kind of cool, but but as a techie, you ended up being dragged around the city. Um, and if you imagine or you remember what the, the city was like in the late 80s and early 90s, it was kind of fun, um, but uh, and fascinating for, from from a technical perspective because I was thrown in front of some very senior bankers. Um, whereas a sales guy sitting next to me was selling them stuff, the senior banker at the other side of the desk was was being sold to. So he would have a, a pet technologist sitting next to him. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, the, the sales guy and the and this guy being sold to would talk. And then every now and again, they would, they would turn to us and say, well, you know, is this actually making sense? Is, it, <laughs> is he selling me some rubbish? And then we would have a deep technical conversation and the nods would be nodded and, and we would go forward. So I learned the sales process really just by sitting in uh, and, and following people around the city, which was really fun. And then the scary thing that happened was that we were sold. We went from um, seven people when I joined to 70 people when I was, um, uh, was ops director. And we were sold to an American firm that had just IPO'd on the NASDAQ. And I was sold as part of that deal, mm. which was kind of fun. So strangely enough, they made me VP marketing. They needed somebody to essentially pull the two different product sets of the companies together and introduce our CRM system to the American sales force and the American market. So they said, Cluid, right, you're going to go into marketing. We're going to send you to New York um, and you're going to work on Wall Street. So I said, OK, because I just tend to I tend to say yes first and then think about the consequences <laughs> later um, and ended up in New York took my family over there, had a blast for about three years, made a lot of friends, um, learned marketing on the fly because although they're Americans, uh, they didn't know very much about it either. So we kind of figured it all out. Came back here at the end of that. I was on a three-year vesting. 
So I, I, I had to stay for three years, sort of golden handcuffs, if you like. Came back over here, raised a lot of venture capital money to do it all over again. Um, and that didn't work. That second business didn't work. Not because it, it wasn't a good idea. I think it was, it was an excellent idea. But, but it, um, it was all tied around the 9-11 the, the attacks. Um, and when we needed our second round funding, um, it wasn't there. And it wasn't the right time. So we ended up shutting that business down. And <clears throat> like anything, when you go through sort of traumatic change like that, you don't know quite what to do. So obviously, I became a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, I, I was always a passionate amateur. I thought I was quite good at it. And I bumped into somebody who was just starting up a business, and we got into talking, and I convinced him that I could potentially build a big business out of it. Um, and that's what we did. We, we started out a photography business. And that's how I got into digital. So I, I digital marketing. So I taught myself the early rules, if you like, of search engine optimization to promote that business. And it took me a couple of years, but at the end of that time, we were really dominant online. We, we were number one for loads of different terms relating to wedding photography, event photography, corporate photography. I had teams of photographers all over the country working for me, <clears throat> and we built up an online business, which was kind of fun. Um, I'm coming to the, your question. Ah, I'm fine. I'm wondering. loving the journey. Yeah. So, so what happened then is it, you probably see that our, our journey, our, our life is driven by geopolitics, right? So it's 9-11 attacks. So the next sort of big event, I suppose, was the recession mm -hmm. of 2008, about that sort of time. Um, and that had a negative and a positive effect on us. The, the negative one was that it really hit the, the high-end photography business. And I could just see it coming that that business was, was going to be really hard to continue to grow. Also, loads of people um, became unemployed. And, and as far as I could figure out, as soon as they lost their jobs, they picked up cameras and became photographers. So I could see a lot of competition coming into the market. <laughs> so there, there, was, there was no future, really, in, in growing that. Um, but the upside was that all the business people I knew had seen what I'd done online. And I started getting calls from people saying, Cluid, look, what, how did you do that, that Google thing? How, how, you know, how did you do what you did? Well, I told them, I said, you do this and you do that. And they said, well, I'm not really interested in being told. I need somebody to do it for me. So I got some consultancy. And eventually the light bulb goes off over your head and you say, actually, this business is bigger than that business. So I shut down, white, uh, shut down the, uh, the photography business, which was called Pixelance. Uh, and we started up White Hat, which is the, the inbound agency that we've got now. Wow. So, yeah, so there's been pivots and there's been mm. changes. And there's been, um, there's been a lot of, of transition and growth. And, and we've changed as, as an agency, we started working with SMEs. Um, and we found Ugly really quite early on in that process. So I started out the business with no external funding, with no backing, literally starting working from a home office. And you can do that for a while. And then you hit barriers. And generally, they involve sort of interruptions to the day. And, you know, we've got cats and young children and all this kind of stuff. And, and um, it's very difficult to, to have a, a good life work balance um, and, and grow a a business like that. So I needed some separation. I started looking around. We were members of a business networking group at the time and, and 
we were talking to somebody, I can't even remember who, it was a, a small architect firm, um, and they say, oh, we're, we're in this building called Ugly. And I said, what on earth is that? And they said, well, you know, it's next to, um, it's in White City. And I said, well, actually, that's good. That's where I live. I can, I can walk to work. Um, how, do I, how do I find out about Ugly? And then we were introduced to Ugly, and I applied, and whatever it was, three or four months later, we, we ended up with an office here. So it's, it's, it's been wonderful. It's, it's been the perfect um, confluence of timing and, and ideas and people and facilities and everything else. It, it really helped us get started, whereas we, at that stage, there was no way we could have afforded, you know, a regular office space and desks and all those kind of things. It was, it was just too early on. So that's how we got here, really. Fantastic. Yeah. So you've, um, and you've been here how long? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, Four years, ish. Mm, mm, I think it's about yeah. that. Bit, bit more. I think. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, and I mean, you, you know, it's it's fascinating to hear your journey to to that point, and obviously we've we've known you since then. But um, and obviously I, we can go on to talk a little bit more about how White Hat's grown because mm. I've seen that really transform in the four years you've been here. Um, but you've shown immense versatility just in your journey to getting there. Mm. Um, you know, sort of. You know, the no funding, you know, starting yeah. out on your own. Um, not that we've got anything against cats and kids because, yeah, yeah. you know, cats are good. They, it's, it's, it is a fine line, isn't it? Between that lifestyle balance of working yes. from home, having your own space, being yes. able to have employees, um, coming together collectively, you know, working things through in a, in a group scenario. And I think that's been the joy of Ugly is that we've been able to give people front doors, been able to give people you know, intimate office spaces yes. um, at the price of what they would be paying for a desk space somewhere else. And yes. that's been a you know massive joy for me to see, see the impact of that. So it's, it's really lovely to hear you say that. But I want to I dig a little bit deeper mm. on this sort of adaptable, organic, uh, clothed story here because it's fascinating me. So, you know, you, you've obviously had immense success over the last four years. I've seen you from that startup you know, growing to being one of the the largest, I think now HubSpot providers in the world. I think well, it is. I mean, you're very I, modest. No, but... I, 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 I tone that down a little bit because <laughs> HubSpot are probably listening to that. No, what we are, we um, we're a HubSpot partner. Provide, yeah, yeah. So we we um, we don't actually resell their software. We, we implement our marketing solutions on top of their tech um, uh -huh. stack, right? Um, but what we do. In addition to that, is that we own and run the HubSpot user group. And around the world, there are lots of different user groups. Essentially, the people who use the software get together and have a glass of wine and some, you know, stale cheese and biscuits. And, and then they, they chat about, you know, how marketing and sales and growth and all these kind of things. And a typical HubSpot user group, even in a quite large city, tends to be quite small. There's, there's sort of 20 or 30 companies that, that um, get together. So that's fine. So when we became partners, I said, well, where's the, the, where's the user group in London? And HubSpot said, that, well, there isn't one. There was one a while ago. It wasn't really a success. It sort of petered out. And I said, well, that's not right. HubSpot's a billion-dollar operation, NASDAQ-quoted company, global, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, they need a really good user group in London. Um, I'll do it. So I stuck my hand up, and like I said before, I tend to jump at things without really thinking through the consequences. So this filtered up the, the, the chain within the HubSpot chain of command, and eventually, you know, um, much umming and ahhing, they said, yeah, yeah, we can do it, but, you know, what's your vision for this? Um, do you really, can you really deliver on it? 
And of course, at that point, we had to commit to, to doing it properly. So we said, yep, yeah, we'll grow it into, into something significant. And we've been doing it for about two years now. And we've grown it from initially probably around 20 or 30, which is the uh, worldwide average. So the biggest events that we now run are, are about 300 companies turning up. And this isn't, um, you know, once a year, this is every three months. Excellent. So, and we, we don't charge for these events. We put them on in central London in Mayfair. So in really nice venues. And it, if you do it right, the value sort of grows and feeds on itself. So if you get a good group of people together, that attracts good speakers. And if you get good speakers, then more people are wanting to come. Um, and if you promote that well through social and blogging and everything else, it does feed and it grows. And like you say, that, that group is now the largest worldwide uh, within the HubSpot community in terms of, 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 um, of, of attendees. We've got nearly 2,000 people who've either attended or, or registered or seen our online uh, events, which is quite good. Mm. Yeah, so I am proud of that. It's, it's not a, a sales opportunity for us. We're, we're not standing up on stage and, and selling mm -hmm. anything. We, the, the, the remit from HubSpot is to, um, to educate and inspire. Fantastic. And, and we really try to put a, t uh, an, a big effort into mm. doing that. I, I get up and talk. I did at the last one. Um, but it's predominantly, most of the time, it's not me. Mm. Um, I, I will I will bring in partners, I will bring in HubSpot themselves, we'll bring in industry leaders, and we'll cover everything in terms of digital marketing, branding, sales, social, um, website design, deep dives into technical stuff sometimes, mm. and it's a real mix. Mm. And, and it's been a, a useful engine for us because we film everything, we record everything, and then we republish that. And so we've built up this resource bank. Mm -hmm. which is really, really useful yeah. as well. And there's a bit of a theme here, because mm. I think partnerships something you're very, very good at. Yes. And partnerships something very, very important, as we know, yes. as marketing, the face of marketing changes massively, the face of business changes massively. Um, we all know the power of really partnering well, and yes. really collaborating Absolutely. well. And I know you and I both understand that. Um, the power of not seeing people as competition, but seeing mm. everybody as um, swimming in the same pool yeah. and pulling together those resources. This and talk to me a little bit more about that, because I think it's a big part of why I see your growth mm. uh, being so successful. We've, we've always started out with the idea that we want to work with really talented people and really talented companies. And if you sort of put that as a marker, then what actually happens is that you open yourself up to those partnerships. If you don't say it, if you don't make it um, public, if you don't say it out loud, then it's just an aspiration and nothing happens. So whenever anybody asks me, I, I actively talk about partnerships, about how we can work together. Um, and it's everything from delivery of the things that we do to combine sales of, of services to working with direct competitors sometimes. I mean, there's a classic example last week. There's another agency, uh, another HubSpot agency, who if you look at them face to face, they would be a direct competitor for us. We really shouldn't be talking to them. We should you know, block <laughs> their emails and just not, not answer the phone. But they're really good people, and they do a good job, and they are excellent at what they do. And I have no problem with that. And we had a, a client who wanted a training session um, two days ago, in fact. And I wasn't available. Well, none of my team were available. We couldn't do it. We were actually working with HubSpot in Dublin. So I phoned this guy up and 
asked Adam if he would cover it for me, and he said absolutely yes, without a blink of an eye. Um, and the HubSpot community of agencies actually works together quite well like that. We will compete absolutely head-to-head -head if, if, we're, we're, uh, if, we've, if we've got a particular um, prospect in common, uh, and we will, we will sell ourselves hard. But that doesn't mean, mean, need to mean that we're bad people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We yeah. can do it with the correct moral approach, and we can actually help each other scale. Because, for example, that agency has a particular skill set that we might be weak on. And in fact, they're, they're really good at integration work. So we will call on them if we need a tough integration project. Yeah? And they know very well that if they're working with one of our clients, they're not going to go in there and cross-sell and upsell and take business away from us because that would just mess up the relationship. And similarly, you know, we're really good at the search engine optimization, the SEO, the driving traffic to the site, the really building the, the, the business. And we've got other agencies who effectively come to us and use our skills for that. Uh, we can either do it under a white label type arrangement or as a joint uh, partnership, a strategic partnership. And it works really, really well. There's, so, there's actually so much business out there. There really Plenty is. Plenty to share. There, there is. And, and <laughs> people sometimes get too het up with the idea is I'm, this, this must be closed off. It must be my box. It, it, um, you know, I'm not going to be talking to anybody else. I must compete and compete and compete. I think if you're going to grow significantly, if you're going to turn yourself into a global company reasonably quickly, then the only way you can do that is by partnering with people who are better than you at certain things, who have access to resources that you don't necessarily have, and who can allow you to scale. A classic example of that is with, with a client of ours, we're essentially doing some consultancy with um, some really smart guys out of um, Accenture. They're, they've got this, this business which is uh, offshoring. So the idea is that they can build teams for other companies in different countries to take advantage of the currency um, discrepancy between the different markets. And they've got a fantastic model, so we're helping to promote them. And also in return, we're finding out that they're finding business for us. So they will give us leads. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And then we start talking about, well, that's fine. Thank you very much. You know, we, you know, we'll, we'll talk about a, a lead, but maybe we can work together. Maybe we can work together to have a joint marketing plan where we can actually um, start hiring people for our, for our joint company or we can um, sell services almost at cost to promote them because they're actually going to be driving business. And you can get quite creative with, um, with partnerships like that. If it's a value to both sides, partnerships only really, really work if there's strong upside for both companies. Absolutely. Uh, there's so many partnerships. You say, yeah, we'll work together. That's great. We'll sign an agreement. And then nothing happens because there's no driver. There's, there's, there's no force behind it. There's, there's, um, there's, there's no impetus. But if you can see a real strength in the joint relationship, then it can be a, a, a then it can feed in the, on itself and it, can, mm -hmm. and it can really help. And we're seeing a lot of that. We've got a, a partner in, um, similarly, like a, in theory, would be a competitor, partner based out of Dublin. And their special, special, specialization, my words right today, is sales. Mm -hmm. You know, and we know sales, but we don't have a big team around that. We can't deliver on some of the big corporate sales projects. 
they can. So now together, the, the marketing skills that we've got and the sales skills that they have allow us to go after larger corporate clients. Um, even even technology competitors, I mean, you talk about HubSpot. HubSpot's a fantastic um, tech platform. It has marketing, it has sales, CRM, it has customer support. And their biggest competitor is probably Salesforce. Right? Salesforce is huge, the market leader in the CRM space. But that doesn't mean we can't do stuff with Salesforce. Just because HubSpot has been our life for, for a while and we've, we, 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 we do like it, it doesn't mean we're wedded to it. Yeah, so one of our team has actually um, uh, has got a lot of Salesforce skills now, and he's been working with companies like Shell um, um, and others, big big corporates, and he's taken that that skills from from one platform to the other very very easily. Mm-hmm. And we can help people transition from one to the other, or we can help them look at the bigger picture of what they're trying to do with their growth and their marketing rather than focus on a particular technology mm. and, and don't get caught up in the details of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that whole partnership, cross-skill, is really, really key to, to mm. what we do. Totally key. Totally key to business growth generally, I think, yes. and disrupted, well, in, in many disruptive marketplaces. I think it's, it's absolutely key. You've been very good at saying where your weaknesses lie and therefore why it's good to team up with mm. others. Yes. Um, if you're in a pitch scenario yeah. against them, <laughs> we have no weaknesses. Yes, I want to know. I want to know about those core. In fact, you know, first of all, if you were listening to this and you didn't know what White Hat did mm. at all, give me your thirty-second right. elevator right. pitch. So the problems that we solve, they they can really be distilled down into a couple of couple of points. They're all around company growth. That's that's kind of why companies come to White Hat. They they they're trying to grow. And they're hitting problems. And, and the problems that you have with growth that we can help with revolve around a couple of things. Firstly, traffic to the website. That's, a, that's the classic one. Um, I don't have enough visitors to my site. I need more leads for the sales team. So that plays to what we do in terms of search engine optimization and, 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 and Google and everything else. It doesn't mean we're stuck on organic. You can drive traffic in multiple different ways, social, paid campaigns, and we're good at at all of those things. But we can drive traffic to the site, so that's that's the first thing. Second problem people have is, well, we've got loads of traffic or we've got a fair amount of traffic to the site, but that traffic isn't actually converting into leads. So this was the big change that we made a few years ago, is that we were really, really good at search engine optimization. We were, we were great at driving traffic to those sites, but when we looked at the business impact of what we were doing, it wasn't in proportion. So we might double the traffic, triple the traffic, but it wouldn't double the revenues or triple the revenues. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is called conversion rate optimization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can, you can have tons of traffic and people will bounce or they don't see the value in what you've got on the site, or there's no reason for them to come back, or there's no reason for them to sign up for, 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 the, for whatever product or service that you have. So that conversion problem is probably the, the hardest one to fix. And again, it's a HubSpot um, sweet spot in terms of the methodology and the technology that we deploy there, but it's all around capturing visitors, turning them into leads, Normally, that involves the creation of what we call authority content, building up the um, the trust of a website, building up the 
um, the, the ways that, that leads can be captured. An example of that, if you look at most websites, and we do a lot of website audits, we go over people's sites, and, and I'm never one to look at a site and say, well, you know, I think it's ugly, I think it's, you know, you've excessive use of the color orange. Or I have no aesthetic bias, or mm -hmm. I try not to have. I'm driven by tech, I'm driven by numbers, I'm driven by results. So if that orange website is generating business for you, then go for it. I'm very, very happy. What I look at is, is conversion metrics. How many visitors are converting into leads? On what pages and why? And we can actually work to fix that. We can put content on. Essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to help your prospective clients. That's, that's kind of how I look at marketing now, is, is it's all about helping people. And that simple statement has a lot behind it. You have to do a lot of research to find out what problems your prospective ideal client has, what goals they have with their business, and how you can help them. And if you find all of that out, you can publish it, you can write about it, you can blog about it, you can create videos about it. And if you do all of those things, and if you create good quality guides and downloadable content, then people will give you their contact information in return. And if you do that properly, in a scientific and um, structured way, then you will fix the conversion problem. So you've got leads, you've got visitors, you've got leads now. And then the third problem that people have is, well, Cluid, I've got traffic to the site, we're getting leads coming through, but the sales guys aren't actually closing those leads into customers. So that's the final one. And that goes back to, again, my core skill, which was um, CRM implementation. What I mean by that is salespeople typically, I wouldn't say dislike, maybe distrust <laughs> the, the marketers in a business. And marketers don't have a great deal of respect generally for the sales teams. And I think that can change and it should change. And when the two teams work together, then you get a sweet spot and then you get really good things happening. If the sales team don't trust the leads that are being generated by marketing, they won't follow them up in a timely fashion. And if you don't follow up in a lead very, very quickly, that lead goes stale. So, and the other thing that people talk about in terms of sales is they criticize salespeople and they say, well, you should be selling smarter. And I always think that's a very um, trite thing to say to a salesperson. It's a really annoying thing because <laughs> salespeople are often very smart. They're, they're, they're driven by their numbers. And if they can be more efficient in what they do, then they will absolutely jump over any kind of system and help that you can give them. And the trick is to, to not make them learn a new software, a new CRM system, a new way of doing things, but to just help them be more efficient in what they are doing. So if they use Outlook, if they use Gmail, then give them some tools within, that, within those um, email systems to make them more efficient. What I mean by that is calendaring, um, templates, snippets of information, email tracking, document tracking. Um, all of these things are actually not rocket science. You can implement them very, very quickly with low touch. And you can actually have a dramatic effect. You can take a mediocre performing salesperson and you can move them up several notches so that they 
overall team efficiency goes up. So those are the three things that we do and we help. So we drive traffic, we help convert that traffic into leads, and we then help the sales guys convert those leads into new customers. Fantastically clear. Very, very clear to understand. But what I want to know more about then is what's your processes, what's your methodology, what makes you guys stand out from the competition? Working with White Hat versus working with somebody else and and where do you find your greatest successes are? I know we have a lot of a Mm. lot of chat about um, uh, sort of you know uh, plans not being in place and therefore so how do you ensure that you uh, enable that? I suppose the biggest thing that we come to the table with is <clears throat> my obsession with systems and systems methodology. Okay. Um, I mean, you might know, I, I also, in addition to the work that we do with our clients and we run the, the HubSpot user group, I also lecture um, uh, as a guest lecturer at UCL, which was kind of fun. But I also lecture when I get up on stage and I talk to other marketers in the sense that I'd lecture and I'd, I'd tell them off. Um, and and it, this is actually true. It, it brings a smile to your face, but it, it's um, I'm really obsessed with the poor performance of marketers generally. I, you know, please forgive me any marketers that are listening to this, <laughs> but but it's it, it's very true, and, and <clears throat> many of them understand and, and and can relate to this. Now, what what I mean by that is marketers tend to be driven by the tasks that they have been set or the tasks that they set themselves. So they tend to be project and task task focused. Uh, for example, you know, they, they, they have to produce so many blog posts in a month. They have to get so many social media posts out. They have to run an event. Those are the metrics around those are, tend to be vanity metrics. They tend to be, well, we've achieved our goal of publishing three blog posts that doesn't really move the needle in terms of potentially generating business. You need KPIs that are business focused and much more aligned to what the salespeople would be more comfortable with. Revenue generation, and the, the production of sales qualified leads. So where, where our strength is, to answer your question, is our methodology is very, very strong. So when I spoke about answering the questions and problems of an ideal customer. Mm-hmm. That's called the inbound methodology. And that one sentence is backed up by a whole plethora of tools and methods and approaches to how you do that. And just to give you a taste of that, um, it involves the first the documentation of, of what's called ideal buyer personas. Uh, by a persona is, is, a, is a fictional representation of an ideal client. Okay, that's a sentence kind of describes what, what you do. Well, a fictional representation of an ideal client in our world could be a 60-page document. You know, we go into a massive amount of detail figuring out what that ideal client wants, um, what are the problems they have, what are their KPIs, what, are, what is driving them. Where do they get their information from? What tone of voice should you be talking to them in? And if you, and the most important bit in all of that is, is the problems and goals that they have. And also you then need to map that against their buyer's journey. Buyer's journey is the different stages that people go through before they buy from you. 
typically it's broken down into three stages, awareness, consideration, decision. So if you imagine that as some three-dimensional grid, you've got a list of your ideal buyer personas, you've got all the problems and goals that they have, and you've got the different stages that they go through before making a decision. And if you imagine that grid and all of the cross points, you can put a piece of content at each of those cross points. That gives you a plan. Yeah? So that gives you enough to keep you going for a year. Right? And that's one of the things that marketers come along and say, well, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to create. Well, there's your plan. Right? And you've got all those different stages. Then you can create nurturing campaigns to take those buyers through those different stages and to help them and to guide them towards your um, your ultimate goal of, of becoming a customer. And you can structure that and you can have email nurturing and social media and, and follow-ups and remarketing and everything else. So what was in the early stages a business which was all about driving traffic to a website has now turned into the mapping of the entire journey for that purchaser, that buyer, all the way through them to become a customer and even after they're, they're, they are a customer, how do you then nurture them as a customer to turn them into promoters? And so the conversations that we're having are now much more at the high level business strategy level rather than saying, oh yeah, Cluid, we'd like to buy some of your PPC services or your SEO or, or come in and do a social media campaign for us. Somebody says to me, I'd like you to run our social media campaign, I tend to walk away. Um, and I'll, I'll, or I'll ask them why. Yeah, so you asked me that in the beginning, I, I would tend to ask that back. Why do you want to do what, what you've just asked me? What are the consequences of it? What, what, is, what is the motivation for it? Um, and maybe what you're asking me to do is not the right thing. Maybe there's something broken somewhere else. Maybe, maybe we need to look at the whole holistic view of this company and how it's growing and how we can help you do that. And I'm having much more interesting conversations with company owners about that because you get away from the detail. I'm, I'm really guilty of going off and, and being attracted to sort of shiny objects. So, <laughs> and we're, we're all kind of do this. All guilty of that. Well, sometimes. I'm guilty of answering the question sometimes in a sales situation, mm -hmm. right? People will have an idea why they want to hire you, right? So we need our search fixed or we need a new website. That's a classic one. Um, so the danger is, or the, the, the trap to fall into, is that you give them what they ask for. Um, but sometimes people don't know what they need. So if somebody were to ask me for a new website, rather than to say, okay, well, fill in this form and we'll give you a quote, I'll start asking why they want a new website. What is the purpose of the website? What, what's wrong with the existing website? Is it that you're trying to drive new traffic? Does it not reflect the business? Um, so those are, are business consultancy type questions and it's quite tricky to have those without quite a lot of business knowledge and experience behind you but I'm really enjoying the fact that I can now mm. do that and I think our company and our consultancy and our growth is going to be driven by that type of work where we're standing back from all the stuff we can do when we actually get around to doing it but to talk about why we want to do it and yeah. why that company wants to do what it's doing. Now, I think you've made it really clear for people listening 
um, of the very three core areas that, that, that you can help them with that. Um, and as you know, with me, you're, you're leaning on an open door. Mm. So, <laughs> so that's uh, it's really lovely to hear you break it down in that way um, with good clarity. A bit of bold honesty from you. Sure. Um, what would be your one greatest regret in the last four or five years of setting up this newest business? Oh wow, that's <clears throat> what would you have done differently in yeah, hindsight? That's, that's those are two different questions. Mm. Regret and what I'd do differently. Um, Regret implies sort of failure and, 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 and major mistakes. I don't think we've made any major mistakes. I think we've made some conscious decisions which has limited the speed at which we grow. Mm-hmm. Um, so in previous businesses, I've actually raised money. I've gone out and I've, I've, I've raised capital. And that's allowed us to grow really, really fast. I've taken a conscious decision with this business not to do that, to grow it organically on cash flow. Um, and that has meant that we've grown slowly. We've had to be very, very careful in terms of, of what we do and, and how we spend our money. And cash flow management is probably the skill that I had least experience with um, in setting up this particular business. So in previous lives, if you like, I've worked either, I've come into an existing business or I've been given a large pot of money and mm-hmm. saying, away you go. <laughs> um, and the, you're sort of working with other people's money. Uh, and it does change your perspective. Of course. So I think what I would probably do is put more systems in place in the early stages. Than, <clears throat> um, it's all very well. Hind- hindsight's a wonderful mm. thing. But I probably could have done more to um, to plan the growth of the business instead of just letting it play out and and just see what comes. But in many ways, I don't know quite how I would have done that without the knowledge I've got now anyway. I would have probably partnered up with HubSpot earlier on um, and, and built a stronger relationship when they were smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to deal with a big global operation and we've done quite well to do what we have um, but when they needed help in those early days if we could have been a partner then we'd probably be a, a lot bigger than we are now, now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is what it is they're still growing um, which is quite I heard some numbers the other day they're still growing 40% year on year with revenues of about 600 million and that's there's, there's very few companies um, that can grow mm-hmm. at that rate. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you the the potential for this market. We're still scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. Most companies out there need help with growth. Yes. Yeah. Um, with their marketing, with yes. their sales, with their customer support, um, and we're able to provide that. And therefore, I think there's always going to be a, a need for for what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think. To answer your question again is how would we differentiate yourselves? There's, there's very few people out there or very few companies who've kind of got the experience that we have. Everything from working with the small SMEs, the startups, all the way through to NASDAQ quoted companies, you know, working out of Wall Street. So that kind of broad experience of, of doing it ourselves is really useful when I'm having conversations with other corporates. Absolutely. So bearing in mind, you know, you've done the VC startup, you've mm. um, grown an organic business, yes. you've done a sale. Yes. Um, 
you've had the golden handcuffs you know you've been in a variety of business situations what would be your piece of long-lasting bold and honest advice you know if you were to say to somebody to survive and thrive now if they were starting out today what would you say it's something really boring i think it would be just manage your cash flow very very carefully cash is king cash is king Uh, it's a again it's a trite thing to say but it's very the, the the number one rule for any company is don't go bust and i say that because it's actually quite hard um, <laughs> that it's particularly with with a small business um, you can be on the whim of an individual supplier a customer you can think you're doing really well you can have you know a, a contract that you've just signed and then suddenly that payment doesn't come through and you pick up the phone and maybe it goes to voicemail and that could be a significant payment and then you might have a whole lot of cash going out the door that needs to be paid, right? And, and you're presuming that your income is going to balance with your outgoings, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think I would say to plan around that to build up a buffer. And I, I don't know who actually first told me this, but there's, there's something like 30 um, If you can take a number, if you look at your outgoings, if you put it down on a piece of paper, how much you you spend each month on rent and suppliers and all these different things, and you can have a buffer of about three to six months just sitting in the bank as cash. That would be a massive amount of comfort that you would have to know that whatever is going to come your way can be dealt with. There's so many nights that you're worrying that you're not going to be able to make payments. That worry is an impedance on your business. It slows you down. It stops you thinking about the things that you need to think about. If you're just concerned about being able to pay a check, you can't do all the good stuff Mm. that you want to do. Now, we're past that now, but in the early days, there's multiple times where that has happened. I mean, in other businesses, you know, it wasn't me, but um, we've had um, people who I know were running the business would actually, you know, write a check um, or they'd get somebody to write a check just so that the bank would see money coming in so that they could pay the, the wages and then take that money out again the next day um, in the hope that an invoice that they had was going to clear. Um, and you're doing things like that. And, and that's what people don't really understand as an entrepreneur you you sometimes have to balance so many different things i would say try and build up a bigger buffer to allow yourself to be not worried about the day-to-day stuff so you can concentrate more on the strategy and the growth and the things that you really enjoy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you do clearly enjoy it i do i love it um which is kind of strange because we've been doing it for a while now and you think you'd get tired of it Mm. But it is a buzz, yeah. um, and we're fortunate we're working at a, you know, a, a, a cutting-edge industry. We're helping a lot of people, helping a lot of companies. Um, we get to you know, fly around the world a little bit every now and again and attend these conferences and, and, and get inspired by some of the things that, that other people are doing, and, mm. and I, I do enjoy that. Um, it's one of the things that came out of HubSpot, actually, and bless them that the, you know, they're, they're, they're focused on, on their world very much. But when we first came across them, I honestly had any clue of who they were and what they did. 
you know, we'd seen some content coming through from them and everything else. And then we eventually figured out their tech was quite good. We started using it for ourselves and when we started building client stuff on it. But it's only when you actually go to an event, like we went to Boston um, a couple of weeks ago for the inbound conference, and that's 26,000 people getting together in a room. And, and you know, you think about it as a little piece of software, and you, you, but you, you see the scale of the operation to put on something like that. It dominates the entire city for, for, for a while. Um, and they have keynote speakers from all sorts of industries, inspirational and everything else. A couple of years ago, they had Michelle Obama as their keynote speaker. And, and, you, and you see yourself as part of that world, and that's kind of fun. Because otherwise, you're, you know, we're stuck in the ugly building, and we do love it, but, but you, you tend to be quite um, isolated sometimes. And, and it's, it's nice to get outside the office. <laughs> isn't it just? Isn't it just? Well, we've covered a lot of ground, Cloyd, um, from, well, blimey. Uh, aspirations to buffers, yeah. um, collaborations, and 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 good business morals. We've sure. we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I think it's an absolute joy that it was. I think you used the word perfect confluence of timing, having ended up at Ugly. So mm. it's a it's a joy to have known you for the last four years and seen you grow the business. Thank you. Um, you are a man driven by numbers <laughs> and results. I can tell. So certainly from your partner's perspective, that must be a. Um, a very joyous thing if you were if you're aligned with the business i could certainly see that that's very effective um i'm going to go away thinking say yes first consequences later it's been an absolute joy Chloe. thank Pleasure. you so much for thank spending some so time with us too. today really enjoyed it. bye bye thank you